This is the Stories from 1916 podcast. Using first-hand accounts and archive material, we tell the less well-known stories of ordinary men and women who did extraordinary things during Ireland's revolutionary period. Joining the army was a common career choice for Irish men at the start of the 20th century. The motivations ranged from economic necessity in some of the worst slums in the world to a desire for adventure, or simply a belief that it was the right thing to do for their country as it was knocking on the door of home rule. Some 200,000 Irishmen fought in the First World War. Among them, men who would return home to fight in the Easter Rising and the subsequent War of Independence and Civil War. Many others involved in the struggle for independence had been British soldiers before the war broke out, James Connolly included. Others perhaps didn't feel as strongly about separatist politics in Ireland and merely wanted to carve out a successful career in the army, sometimes due to family tradition. Captain E. Gerard is notable as one of the few members of the British Army to record a statement for the Bureau of Military History. Very little is known about him, not even his first name, so it would be wrong to speculate on his motivations for joining up. Having received an education in a prestigious Irish boarding school, however, it is unlikely that economic necessity was a factor for him. I was educated at Clongo's College and received a commission in the Army. I was posted to the Royal Field Artillery. About the 18th of July 1914, when I was second lieutenant in the Glen of Amal practice camp, I rode down with Major Haig. I said to him casually, we were both on horses. What a lovely country. I hope you will like it. He said, I hate this place and I hate the people. Major Haig was in command of the company of King's Own Scottish Borderers who opened fire on civilians at Bachelor's Walk a few days later. I often wondered whether there was any connection between what he had said to me and his action. At the beginning of Easter week, 1916, British forces in Ireland were caught almost completely unawares by the insurrection. The majority of army personnel in the country were Irish units such as the Royal Irish Regiment and the Royal Dublin Fusiliers. These were stationed in the country in preparation for travelling to mainland Europe to fight in the First World War. Other Irish members of the British Army were home on leave from fighting in France or Belgium. Gerard was one of them. In April 1916, I was home for the Dardanelles and was stationed in Athlone. In Athlone there were two batteries, eight guns. Not one of these guns was in a position to fire without being oiled and pumped by the mechanics. It would have taken them two days to get them into action. The only ammunition of any sort in Athlone was shrapnel. The quartermaster was Lieutenant C.H. Dickens. He later told me that he had shot at the flag on top of the GPO with one of these guns. He did not realise that the shell would not burst. The shell travelled on to the lawn of the Vice Regal Lodge. He told me that the Lord Lieutenant was very annoyed at being shelled. I was home on leave at Easter 1916. I heard that there were disturbances in the city. I went to see what was happening. I was in civilian attire. I was in Harcourt Street when I heard the shout, Stop! The man with the pipe! I hastily removed my pipe and managed to escape. I did not know what was going on. I saw the insurrection troops assembling at the top of Grafton Street and going into Stephen's Green. I was especially struck with their magnificent physique. They were huge men. I realised there was something serious on and I went home and got my uniform in the bag. 
When going home, I met Sir Frederick Shaw in Bushy Park and he told me to go to Beggar's Bush Barracks. There was nothing in Beggar's Bush Barracks if only they had rushed it. There were no arms. Thinking over it now, the GRs were there, but their rifles were not service type and they had no ammunition. The GRs referred to here were members of the Home Defence Force, a sort of dad's army made up mostly of those too old to fight in the war, but who wished to protect their country in case of invasion by Axis armies. They wore armbands bearing the initials GR, which stood for Georgius Rex, the Latin for King George. They were commonly nicknamed the Gorgeous Rex. They were on a training exercise in South Dublin when the Rising broke out, and were just as unprepared as the rest of the British forces in Ireland. Carrying rifles but without ammunition, they marched to Beggar's Bush. Five of them were killed on the march when they came under fire from Irish volunteers. They joined in the defence of the barracks in desperate circumstances with very few weapons. One of my sentries in Beggar's Bush barracks about Tuesday evening said to me, I beg your pardon, sir. I've just shot two girls. I said, what on earth did you do that for? He said, I thought they were rebels. I was told they were dressed in all classes of attire. At a range of about 200 yards, I saw two girls, about 20, lying dead. These girls were just two of the innocent civilians killed in the Rising. Unarmed civilians accounted for over half of the death toll for the week, having come under fire from both sides. Just under half of those killed were under the age of 30, meaning that the odds never favoured these girls. Around their bodies, the fight continued to rage. On Wednesday morning, after the Sherwoods arrived, Major Harris organised a continuous barrage of rifle fire against the windows of the houses in Northumberland Road. About three rifles were laid on each window, and at a signal by whistle, at least ten rounds from each rifle were directed at each window. Our men were in the windows of Beggar's Bush Barracks. They had sandbags. I often thought that there must have been a lot of people killed, but what could they do? They were being sniped at the time. While we were sniping at Beggar's Bush Barracks, I saw Sinn Féinir. By some accident, he put his head up above the railway line wall and I saw him. I said, there's one fellow going to have it anyway. I loaded the rifle and at a range of about 200 yards, I fired. I saw the bullet hitting a stone within two inches of his head. I think this was on Wednesday morning. I was very glad afterwards that I had not hit him. I'd never fired that particular rifle before. Of course, if he had seen me, he would have done the same. The men of Beggar's Bush were firing on what would become known as the Battle of Mount Street Bridge. Seventeen Irish volunteers had taken over a handful of houses adjacent to the barracks and were holding off columns of British soldiers just off the boat in Dunleary and marching towards the city centre. The small band of volunteers killed or wounded 240 soldiers before they were overpowered and defeated. A small number of soldiers managed to make it to Beggar's Bush, where Gerard led them to Shelburne Road to engage volunteers in Boland's Mill across the railway tracks. At about four o'clock on Wednesday afternoon, some of the Sherwood foresters arrived in Beggar's Bush barracks. Twenty-five, as I remember. Untrained, undersized, products of the English slums. We got over the side of the barracks and through the houses on Shelburne Road and up onto the railway by a ladder. I was over the wall first, followed by Sergeant Gamble. As soon as I got over the wall, at a range of about 200 yards, 
About eight Sinn Féiners advanced from the direction of the city to meet us. I saw them coming towards us, firing. There was what they call a fairly sharp firefight. These men were standing up, not lying down. They came out of their trenches to meet us. They were very brave, I remember. They did not know how many of us there might be. The first casualty was Q.M. Gamble. He was shot dead under the right eye. I was the next casualty. I don't know how many Sherwoods were killed. The young Sherwoods that I had with me had never fired a service rifle before. They were not even able to load them. We had to show them. The Sherwood Foresters had Mark VI ammunition. It was very old-fashioned stuff. I had some of it, but during the black and tan times, I threw it into a river. Gerard was out of action for the rest of the week, but he survived his injuries and continued his career in the British Army. About April 1935, when I was in Aldershot, our medical officer was Colonel Stanley. He said to me, I was the medical officer who attended the executions of the first nine Sinn Féiners to be shot. After that, I got so sick of the slaughter that I asked to be changed. Three refused to have their eyes bandaged. I can't remember who the three were. They all died like lions. The rifles of the firing party were waving like a field of corn. All the men were cut to ribbons at a range of about ten yards. Every officer I met who was ever in Dublin was so impressed by the extraordinary gallant bearing of the insurgents. Gerard's statement echoes the sentiments of many other accounts of the fight by British soldiers or policemen. A sense of shock is portrayed at the slaughter of the week, which saw some of the fiercest urban warfare they had ever seen. Coupled with this, however, is a respect for the bravery of these men, who were fighting the might of the British Empire at such long odds. For more on the Battle of Mount Street Bridge, or other accounts by British soldiers or policemen, go to www.storiesfrom1916.com. I'm Owen Cody. Thanks for listening.